The question I, I wish to address with you was brought home to me this past week in all its reality, in all of its harshness, and in, in all of its ugliness. Uh, some of you know I was uh, back home and visited with my father for a few days and uh, went, went to the memory care unit to visit with my mom. And well, there last Sunday, of all things, uh, we just visited with my mom for about an hour and a half. And we were leaving the other part of the unit where my mom is at. We saw some uh, old friends of ours uh, from over the years, and we asked them why they were there because we had no idea that they had a family member in the other part of the nursing home, and come to find out that her, her uncle had just passed away. Um, and um, about that time, uh, Debbie, the young lady I was speaking to, actually she's older than I am, but I'll call her a young lady. That makes some of us older folks feel that way. Her mom stepped out and um, in tears, and anyway, we had a little bit of a reunion and a little bit of a hug fest and those things as well. And uh, in just asking what had happened to, in this case, Debbie's uncle, her mom's brother, uh, just had been sick for a long time. He's in his early 70s. And as you could probably imagine, at that age, death was not new to him or to his family at all. Um, But I was asked if I'd be willing to do the service for them. And the service was scheduled for last Wednesday, the day I was supposed to fly back here and it could work out thus that I could do the service and then go to the airport and, and come back home. The unfortunate thing was their, the son, uh, Sean, was not able to get in until Friday, and so the service was changed till Friday. But in this process, as I was talking to Debbie and her family, they told me why they called me later. And of all things, I was having lunch with my dad. My son, John, was with us. It came to mind. I said, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be somewhat odd or coincidental though there are no coincidences with God, as we know, if they called and said, would you, like to do the, would you be willing to do the service? Um, and about an hour later, they in fact did call. Um, and as I was talking with Debbie in preparation for the service I did not do, she explained to me why. One, one reason um, was because of familiarity with the family for over 40 years, but even more importantly was Daryl had no church home. He was a church homelessness, if borrow that phrase, and was without any sort of a pastoral influence in his life. And as we talked some more about that, she explained why. Back in his late teens, early 20s, he was swimming with a friend of his, a young lady, perhaps it was his girlfriend, or it was a budding romance. That really was never clearly explained. But what was explained is that while they were swimming, she drowned. And in the process of trying to save her, he was unable to do so. And for almost 50-plus years of his life, he has been angry at God. So angry, so much so that both with his mother and his grandmother died, he refused to set foot inside a church. Angry at God for taking the one person in life that he really loved. And it influenced his entire life and now obviously probably influences his death as well. He wanted an answer from God for the loss of that young woman, for his loss, and for his own suffering. My message this morning is not a theodicy that is a defense or an apologetic of explaining the existence of good or evil and how if God is good, he could allow evil. That I will leave to greater and better theologians than myself. 
Rather, this is a look at the down in the trenches question, the hurt and the bewilderment brought on by our suffering or the suffering of those we love. Whether that suffering be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, or a combination of all four. You see, this message actually originated from a conversation I had with a man some years ago who became a very dear friend in the remaining days of his life. Red uh, was a cowboy's cowboy, if you will, uh, hunter of hunters, good cattleman, and he contracted cancer, not just any cancer, but bone cancer, and particularly cancer in his spine. And so his remaining weeks and months were quite painful. And one evening while up there having coffee with him, he simply asked, why is this happening to me? Is it something that I did? It's because of my life. It's because of the mistakes I've made. Is God punishing me for my past, for my life? No, beloved, you need to know that Red knew all the cliches that I know you know as well. No pain, no gain. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Into every life, a little rain must fall. Or the classic, what doesn't kill you makes you better. Or time heals all wounds. Or one of my favorites, though I don't always understand it, when you have lemons, make lemonade. My only question is, what if you want to make pie? But that's a question for another day. Some have tried to make it a little more palatable by saying something like this. Suffering is justified as soon as it becomes the raw material of beauty. Or as another said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Red would have subscribed to these. He was a tough old cowboy. But he wasn't talking about just the normal ups and downs of life. He, he wasn't talking about the broken bones, failed first marriage, tough upbringing, hail on his crops, a death of cattle or a colt. Those he got, but dying, dying a painful death, leaving his family behind. He had weathered everything else and came out stronger, but this is one time that he was not winning And he just couldn't outlast it. He couldn't just grin and bear it. And as he reflected on his 67 years, as it all came crowding in, he wanted to know why. Why why this? Why, Why now? Why do things like this happen to good people? Why? That is the question I hope to provide some answers for for you this morning. As you can see in the bulletin, the outline is very simple. I apologize for the, uh, the s- small space, but uh, Miss Kelly was very gracious in putting as much of the outline in as, as possible. And so you have to write really small uh, if you want to fill it in the blank. But it's very simple. Why do we suffer? Why is there pain in our life? And what, if anything, are the benefits of suffering and pain? The first thing, quite honestly, is that we live in a sin-cursed world. Suffering is due to the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Back in Genesis 3, with the fall of Adam and Eve, as God laid out for them the consequences, the fallout in their relationship to each other, the fallout in their relationship with God, and then the fall's effect on the world that we live in. 
We live in a world that is changed from the garden. We live in a world that has typhoons and tornadoes and hurricanes and wind blasts, earthquakes, tsunamis, fires, drought, weeds. We live in a sin-cursed world. And it, it too waits for its day of redemption until it is redeemed We will live in a world that is spinning towards its destruction. And as a result of that, we are impacted by that world, by those things that happen. There are things called disease. There probably isn't a family here this morning or an individual who has not been impacted either personally in your own body or that of a loved one. That as a result of this sin-cursed world, you and I have experienced their death, or the dying of our own body, the wasting away, the effects of that curse. And so it is here because we live in this world, as Paul says in Romans 8, that groans for its redemption. It groans for it and wants to be redeemed. And so it shouldn't surprise us that there there is pain and there is suffering because this world is under a curse. And that curse affects you and I as well and impacts our lives. Secondly, suffering is due to sin, whether my own or the sin of others. And I want to be careful here um, simply because uh, I've shared portions of this over the years. I haven't never shared it in its entirety. And and without even knowing one day, uh, Montana Wilderness School of the Bible had a young woman actually leave class. She was pretty upset. And uh, later grabbed one of the uh, other staff and after, after lunch confronted me. And, um, and she thought I was aiming this at her. And I, which really, when you think about it, is kind of an odd, uh, odd thought. Um, because I don't know the students until I get there. The school doesn't provide us with a dossier on every student, all 50 of them. And so we, we know their background. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, about the students. And yet, whatever had happened to her, whatever she had done, I, I still to this day don't know. But she seemed as though, or she thought that I was aiming this directly at her. And so I, I just, I say that as a disclaimer. I'm not aiming at this at anybody this morning. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm simply stating what I think we all know from Scripture is that suffering is due to Sin. Sin-cursed world, and is due to my own sin at times, or could be, or the sin of others. Galatians 6 makes it very clear. You and I reap what we sow. If you sow corn, you get corn. Uh, You know, I'm not a great gardener. I'm not a master gardener, but we we put in a nice garden every year. And I know when I put in beet seed, that I'm going to get a beet, probably a Detroit red, you know, something like that. I'm not going to get a carrot or a zucchini. I, I, I sowed a beet seed, and I will get a beet back. And so we know that we reap what we sow. Romans 1 makes that very clear, and I think we see that in our society today. The wrath of God is abiding on our country, on our society. If you read Romans 1, it's because of sin. It's here. It's alive. Uh, as some of you know from other classes, the very first funeral I ever did was for a young man that I was discipling. It was actually for his older brother. And um, 
Bill's brother Kenny was with a friend, and they were going to Columbia Boulevard. If you've ever been in Portland, you're going to come along the Columbia River out by the airport. And there used to be some pretty tight curves, almost some, almost some 90s. And the speed limit is posted as 30 miles an hour. Now, I know some of you who are NASCAR fans, you think, well, that's, you know, that's for people who don't know how to drive. But it's posted 30 for a reason. And they estimate that Kenny and his friend, and they still to this day don't know who is driving, were going at least 90 miles an hour when they left the road. The toxology report on both of them was not only were they intoxicated from alcohol, but they had other drugs in their system as well. I'll never forget when Bill's mom asked me, she said, I want you to tell his friends my son didn't need to die. He is dead because of the choice he made. Now, I don't know about you, that's kind of a scary thing when you're in a hostile group of people who are angry at God, who are drinkers themselves and dope smokers as well, to tell them this young man in all likelihood is probably dead, not because God hated him, God loved him and sent Jesus to die for him, but because of a choice he made to ride either with somebody who was driving under not only the influence of alcohol but other drugs, but could very well have been the driver himself, And he was dead at the age of 21 because of a choice he made. Beloved, let us not blame God for our own stupidity. As John Wayne said, life is hard. Stupid doesn't help. Right? We suffer because of the sin of others and because of our own choices at times. Genesis 6, there was a worldwide flood. Genesis 9, as Noah became a tiller of the soil and planted a vineyard, he overindulged in the fruit of the vine. And as a result of that, one of his sons, or perhaps if we understand the text correctly, one of the grandsons saw went to his father, and they looked on his, on his nakedness, went to his brother and said, hey, dad's, you know, and he got a thing and walked backwards to cover up his nakedness. But there was a curse associated with the fact that they had looked, the one brother or his son had looked upon the father's nakedness. You can read your, that for yourself in Genesis 9. The first Samuel and second Samuel passages should be familiar to you. This is the story, at least in first Samuel, of Saul. Saul's sin brought hardship on the nation of Israel. It almost resulted in his killing David on numerous occasions. In 2 Samuel, these are references to David. David's sin when he sent Uriah to his death and when he sinned with Bathsheba. Suffering can be due to sin, whether our own or the sin of others. And we need to come to grips with that. We need to realize that, yes, I may have brought this about myself. It may have been a wrong choice at a wrong time. It might have been totally an innocent choice, seemingly at the moment, and yet it can result in grave consequences, as we've seen throughout our lives. Thirdly, suffering is inflicted by the evil one. In Job 2.7, we are told, He afflicts. 
Beloved, please don't miss that. Sometimes we write that off as only kind of the figment of the imagination of some of our charismatic brother and her way over in one corner. Don't, don't miss the fact that Satan is evil and he does afflict and can afflict. God allows him. Why? I'll let someone else answer that for another day. But he does afflict. He does afflict. Luke 13 and Luke 22 tells us that he inflicts, he possesses, and he sifts. Remember Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you, but Peter, I have prayed for you. In John 8, 44, Jesus tells us that he was the murderer from the beginning. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that he blinds. 1 Timothy 3, 7 says that he ensnares people as well. And over in 1 Peter 5, we know that he's a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour and that he often is behind what stirs up persecution and why people are persecuted for their faith. So make, uh, make no mistake, suffering can come because of the evil one as well. Fourthly, Suffering can be the result of godly living. Second Timothy three twelve, Paul says, "Those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. It may not result in your death. It may not result in your imprisonment. It may not result in your loss of property. But you may have loss of relationships. There may be people because you take a stand on an issue, who no longer want to associate with you, or they draw back from you, because you will stand for." the Lord. You're, you're willing to share your faith. It's surprising. Sometimes we get asked, do you share your faith on an airplane? And my answer is yes, sometimes. Most of the time. Or I take an opportunity to, but I find more and more in these days, as soon as they find out you teach at a Bible college, you're a pastor, you're a preacher, you mention that you love Jesus, you're surprised how tired people get how interested they are in the in-flight magazine that they probably already six times anyway because they don't want to hear it. They honestly don't want to hear it. And so they're right there, there's already a divide. You can imagine going home and talking with family and friends as well. Now, knowing what you were, seeing what you're trying to become in Christ... It's confusing to some. It's interesting to some. Some want to give you a little pat on the head. Oh, how nice for you. Uh, you know. And there are others It's just like, just keep your distance from me. I don't have anything to do with that Jesus stuff. You Christians are so judgmental. You're, you're so legalistic. And all we're simply trying to do, as our dear brother pointed out this morning, is just walk with him. Just trust him, and yet that still will set you apart. So suffering can come as a result of God of living. Peter mentioned that to his audience in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 15. It's better that you suffer for doing good, for being righteous, than being unrighteous. But if you live for the Lord, you will at some point in your time, in your life, will be persecuted for your faith. Again, may not be full-blown persecution where you pay with your life, but you will be ostracized. You will be left out. Suffering also allows me to trust God. 
the story of Joseph. Think back in that passage, how his brothers, the favorite son, going out to check on the brothers on behalf of his father, and he goes out, and some want to kill him, and want to say, nah, that's probably not a good idea. Let's just sell him into slavery and make some money. And you know the story, 13 years, he's there a slave. He's falsely accused of of molesting uh, the wife of his master. He's thrown into prison, and while there, everything prospers under the jailer, and he sees these visions of the baker and the cupbearer, and they come true, and they forget him, right? And so he's in prison longer than he anticipated. And in the end, though, in God's perfect timing, after 17 years, he's elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt. Job thirteen twelve, when Job is challenged with his suffering and all that has fallen, befallen him, he says this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he take my life, though he, not someone else, though he take my life, yet will I trust him. And over in 1 Peter 3.17, Peter affirms that again. That gives us the opportunity to trust God in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, so that others can see that faith actually does work even when it hurts, that it still works. See, beloved, sometimes it isn't healing that brings God to greatest glory, as our brother pointed out. It's how do I bear up under the trial? How can I stay faithful to a God who to the world may seem like he's unfaithful to his servant, but we know he's not? though sometimes undoubtedly we probably think he is. I remember some years ago, <clears throat> one of our, I think one of the boys said something about fair. You know, life's not fair. And I said, you know, it's not. Because if life was fair, your grandmother wouldn't be in the condition she is. But some of these crazy whack jobs that are in our society today, they would be the ones with Alzheimer's. They would be the ones with the, 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 the bone-chilling diseases, but there's not. I mean, you do understand that there are very wicked and evil people in this world who will live to a ripe old age, and they will die with their millions or billions of dollars. And there are godly men and women who love the Lord who will live through a life of suffering and pain and sorrow. I I hope you do realize that. And so, yeah, sometimes life doesn't seem fair. But when you and I can rise above that in the power of the Spirit and trust Him in those dark days, others see that our faith is real. They know it is real. Not because we grinned and bared it. Not because we were given lemons and now we're making lemonade or lemon pie, but because we trust in the one who loves us, ever loves us, ever lives to intercede for us, as the song in us Hebrews 7.25 tells us. It gives me the opportunity to trust him, even when it would seem like I should not.
Suffering also allows me to be a testimony and a comfort. Paul said that in, in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, when he spoke about how his affliction, his being in jail, gave others greater boldness to preach the gospel. As they watched Paul, as they saw him in prison for the sake of the gospel, and they realized, listen, I can still preach the gospel. I can still do this, and it will have effect. And Paul said, I I know there are some people who are preaching Jesus just to get me in, in deeper trouble with the Romans. I understand that, but praise God, Jesus is being preached. Remember, this is the guy who said, Paul, if you don't shut up, we're going to throw you in jail. They said, okay. This is the guy who, when they threatened to beat him, he said, that's fine. I don't consider these light and momentary afflictions anything to be compared to the weight of the eternal glory that I have in Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, well, Paul, we're going to kill you. And Paul said, that's okay to die is gain. For it's better to be with the Lord Jesus. That's very much more better. So what, what do you do with a person who has an attitude like that? But to marvel at the fact that he can have that. And, and was it something that Paul just said, you know, I'm just going to be positive today. You know, I, I, I took that Norman Vincent Peale course, and I'm just a power positive thinking. I've got this figured out. No, he tells us in chapter 4, I have learned to be content. I've learned whether I have much or whether I have little. I've learned it. Beloved, it's a school. Suffering is a school for you and me. And as we bear up under it, as we trust him, it allows us to be a testimony. And notice also Paul here in 2 Corinthians 1. It allows us to be a comfort to others. Second Corinthians. I love what Paul says <clears throat> here in chapter, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Isn't that amazing? That isn't a guy who just woke up in the morning and said, I'm just going to be Johnny Positive. I'm going to stop being Johnny Raincloud, and I'm going to be Mr. Positive. This is a man who learned it as you know from the rest of 2 Corinthians. Over in chapter 4, he he says this, beginning in verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. But since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore we speak. Knowing, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, in light of this, brethren, we do not lose heart. 
Even though our outward man is perishing, it's wasting away, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, <clears throat> pardon me, but at those things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then he goes on in that wonderful chapter to talk about, we know, we know we have a home in heaven. We know we have a new body that is coming. We know the tension. We want to go home to be with the Lord. And yet we're here in this body of decay. This body, you can do CrossFit as much as you want. You can run all the marathons you want. But I got news for you, you're all going to die unless Jesus comes back, right? So we're going to die. I'm not saying don't run. I'm not saying don't work out. I'm not saying don't eat healthy. I'm just simply saying we know we're going to die. We know we have that tension. You get up in the morning, you have aches and pains. You're hurt. And you struggle. I understand that. But... He says, we await, we groan for that habitation, we groan for that new body, and we groan for that time when we will be with the Lord, where there will be no more sin, there will be no more decay, there will be no more disease and war and famine and pestilence. We long for it. It's yet to come. But, he says, we're always confident, verse 6 of chapter 5 of Second Corinthians, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We'd rather be at the Lord, amen? Amen. But we're here, and so we walk by faith. And so we have the opportunity to be a testimony and a comfort to those who are going through trial those who are walking the path that we are walking, we have that opportunity. As Matthew Henry said 200 years ago, it is only when we, only when bruised, when broken or burnt, that some spices give off a fragrant aroma. And love that is true for us too. There are sometimes only when we go through difficult times that we really become a fragrant aroma unto the Lord. When people actually see our faith in action. When we can trust when it's all dark and we can't quite see the twinkling starry skies, but yet we trust that it's true. And then we're also told that suffering is for the glory of God. Now, it may sound hard, and that is actually where some of the disconnect between the skeptic and the atheist and Christians come in. How... Can God glorify? What, what kind of monster must he be that he can glorify himself in suffering? Well, if you're a parent and you ever had to hold your child when he or she was being stitched, you're a monster? Was the doctor a monster as they stitch after stitch after stitch after stitch? I don't think so. Right? Genesis 50 when Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers are kind of like, whoa, what's going to happen now? Now that our father's gone, now maybe Joseph's going to get revenge. And so they come to Joseph, as you know, and they present themselves, and Joseph breaks down and weeps. He weeps and says, am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil. 
but God meant it for good. For in it, He has saved our people. Well, that is a big picture perspective. That is an eternal perspective. He was able, he is able to say, yeah, you meant it for evil. This wasn't exactly good. But as we look at the totality of everything, do you not see that in the midst of this, God allowed this because it put me in a position to become second to Pharaoh, and as a result of that, I'm able to save our people. And you know the rest of the story, that as over the years went by, they multiplied into a nation of close to two million people. Why? Because in the midst of that, God allowed this to happen to Joseph to prepare him to be the man of the hour. John 9, familiar passage to all of us. And if that doesn't mess with your mind or your theology a little bit, you need to study it a little bit more. Chapter 9, verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was, born, who was blind from birth. Okay? It's not like Fanny Crosby who through some quack doctor lost her eyesight at three, which was bad. Don't, do not get me wrong. This man was born blind. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Because that was kind of the teaching of the day, still is in some cases. Well, obviously he had to sin. I mean, bad things happen to sinners, right? Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, he's not saying that they're not sinners. He's just saying, no, they didn't do a particular thing in order for this to happen. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. Let that sink in for a second. This, this, this is where hopefully you're going to wrestle with your theology a little bit. Jesus told them flat out, God allowed him to be born blind so that the works of God could be revealed. That reminds me of supposedly a true story of a young Scottish preacher as he was before the presbyter to be ordained. He was asked by one of the, the old stout Scottish Calvinists, and he said, young man, he said, would you be willing to be down forever for the glory of God? And he said, aye, and the whole presbyter as well. In other words, you, you catch, catch the point? He said, yeah, I'm willing. If this would glorify God, I am willing, like Paul said in Romans, oh, oh, that God would damn me to hell forever if it meant the salvation of all of Israel. Paul, Paul wasn't, that's not just hyperbole. That was Paul's heart for his people. Did you catch that? And that was the Scottish preacher's point. Yes, I would if it brought glory to God. And I would be that all of you would be too. And so here, Jesus makes it very clear. This guy didn't do anything. Yeah, he's a sinner by birth, but he didn't do anything where I said, okay, that's it, boom, you're blind. Or his parents. We allowed this so you might see the work of God. How do we know? You know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story. People can't believe it's the same guy. They take him to the Pharisees. How did this happen? I don't know. I, this prophet Jesus came. He did the mud thing, a little spit put in my eyes, now I can see. And so they said for his parents, because they can't believe, oh, he couldn't possibly have been blind. And they come and said, yeah, you know, he was. This is our son. Well, how's he blind? I, said, I don't know. We don't know. You ask him, he's old enough. He's of majority age. And so they ask him, give glory to God. 
We know this man's a sinner, but you give glory to God. How did this happen? He said, this is a crazy thing. We know, according to your theology, God never hears a sinner, right? All I can tell you is I was blind, now I see. What, do you want to become his disciples too? And they get angry and they throw him out. But here's the glory of God revealed. It split the group. Some saying, it's got to be from the Lord because we've never seen a miracle like that. No one has ever sent somebody from birth. Now he can see. Now they said, oh, he's an evil man because he does it on the Sabbath. So they were split. But it brought glory to God because it demonstrated Jesus is the Christ. Right? That was the point. Do you think that man cared later? Because we know he came to faith in Jesus. Fanny Crosby, I'd referenced her earlier, had a friend, an acquaintance, who was a skeptic. He was an atheist. And he would mock her at times, but he would listen to her also. And because she became blind as a result of a quack, lived her life that way, and yet she penned some, some great hymns, testimonies to God's grace and mercy and the hope that we have. He said, you know, one time in, in chiding her and actually being very, very cruel to her, said, you know, you wouldn't even recognize your Savior if you walked in here, and yet he let you be born blind. He hasn't done anything for you, and you couldn't even recognize him if he came in here. And she said, oh, but I could. He said, well, how, you, how could you? How could you? You're blind. And she said, because I could tell by the prince in his hands and the wound in the side. She knew that even in the midst of that, the glory went to God. Could she have been a wonderful hymn writer and songwriter with sight? Could very well have been. Could very well have been. Don't know. But we do know the impact of her songs over the decades or centuries because of the testimony and giving the glory to God be the glory, great things he has done, and great our redemption in Jesus, his son. But that's not from somebody who's a billionaire, who has everything they want, has perfect health, 2.5 kids, right? That is from a woman who spent, from the age of three on, blind and dependent on others but giving glory to God for what he had done. We see that in Philippians 1, 20, 29. Paul says, It has been granted, graciously given to you, not only to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his sake. And also 1 Peter 4. So very quickly, what if any, are there any benefits? I think you probably realize now that there are. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Discipline, it trains us. It trains us. No, and there are many athletes here this morning in the second service, there'd be many other athletes as well. You know there is no gain without some pain. You cannot become an Olympic athlete. Um, you cannot become a NFL player, NBA, whatever, without going through the training, without buffeting your body, without working and working and working and working. Right? We know that. Why, why then do we not accept it in the spiritual realm? It disciplines us. And it may be discipline in the sense of 
there are consequences as well. It refines and it builds our character. It's another aspect. It will refine us. It warns us. Just as you work out the overuse of a muscle, a misuse of something, it warns us to be careful. In their excellent book, Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey talk about how we, especially here in the West, want to get past pain. We got so many painkillers. I mean, sometimes it boggles your mind when you walk into the store. You ever try to do that for cold medicine or flu medicine? There's like 30 different varieties. You got to find, read all the fine print to figure out one because you got all the symptoms. Okay, that's the one I need. You go to some other parts of the world, you're lucky if you got one bottle of aspirin in the whole store. We don't like pain. And yet pain, as C.S. Lewis said, is God's megaphone to a morally deaf world. Pain tells you. Leprosy patients, by the way, would like to feel pain. Because if they did, they wouldn't wear out their toes, their fingers, their feet, etc. So it warns us. It is also faith-building. Again, Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Beloved, we just touched the tip of the iceberg. But I eventually shared all these things with Red. And when we came right down to it, he said, well, you didn't answer my question. I said, I know I didn't. I know I didn't answer your question. But these are the answers. So the question is, are there answers for suffering and pain? There are. The real question is, isn't, why do I suffer? The question is, which one of these fits? Which one of these answers fits my circumstances and situation? And beloved, I can't answer that for you. Because I don't know. In your heart of hearts, I don't know. It is, a, it is a faith issue. It is a wisdom issue. But sometimes I think we know. And we're afraid to admit what we know. But these are the answers. And so the question again isn't, why do I? The question is, which fits? Which fits where I'm at right now? where my loved one is, where my neighbor might be, the person, my long-distant relative that I'm visiting in the hospital, how does it fit? That's, that's what I needed to find out. And I trust that as we do, as we go in prayer, as we trust Scripture, as we believe the hymns that we heard played this morning, as we watch those words on the screen, He loves us. He never changes. He, his love is deep, deeper than the ocean, higher than the highest mountain. This God who never changes will be there with us as we walk through that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Father, we come before you, and, and I can't even hope to begin to explain why. Why, when we see little ones suffer and die, when we see evil and wickedness used to the advantage of others, portrayed, glamorized, and celebrated, breaks my heart. Breaks my heart that I cannot just, with a magic wand, move my hand over someone I love. and heal their broken heart, their battered body. 
give back the vitality and strength that is drained away with the years and with their body ravaged by disease. But I can point them to one who knows. And while he doesn't tell us everything we want to know every time we want to know it, he is there. And his faithfulness is great, and his mercies are new day by day. And so, Father, whether you heal us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, whether you allow us to go through a season of great difficulty and pain, may we rest on the fact that your love never changes. That you are good and somehow out out of this and through this, though even maybe in our life we will not see it, you will bring great good. Lives will be transformed. Faith will be deepened. People will come to faith. You will be glorified. May we rest in those truths that the one who knows all will do all that he can and wills to do and will reveal it at the right time to the praise and honor and the glory of his grace. So we come to you this morning as needy people, some of us needy in a multitude of ways, and we ask that you would hold our hand tighter Hold us closer to your heart so that we would walk by faith and not by sight. Dismiss us with your peace and your strength to live today and the days to come, we ask. Amen.